Welcome to another episode of Daily Horror Habit, podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie reviews and discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these reviews and discussions might include spoilers. Continuing the month of March's body horror theme is an examination of one of 2021's most audacious films, that being Julia Duquinot's sophomore film, Titan, in which after a uh, strange encounter with a car, it leads to serial killer Alexia spinning out of control and igniting a physical and mental transformation. And joining me once again is returning friend of the show and the host of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club podcast, Devon Taylor. Devon, welcome back to the show, man. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back. Very excited, as always, to chat with you. If y'all don't know me, I host a horror podcast called the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. And uh, if I was going to fuck a car, it would be a 350Z because those things got cute butts. <laughs> well, it's so funny that when I was thinking about guests to have on to chat about body horror, like you were the first person that I thought of just because... I feel like all of our conversations for my podcast have revolved around body horror films, right? We talked about Starry Eyes. We talked about The Fly previously. And so mm -hmm. for wanting to uh, chat Titan, it seemed like no other choice than you. But um, also for the fact that when you had me on your podcast for your Movies of the Year segment and we chatted about our top seven movies, and then we chatted also about awards, this was a film that kept coming up. But, you know, when you're talking about an entire year's worth of movies and actors and accomplishments and these things, it's kind of hard to shine a light on any one particular one for too long because there's so much to talk about without doing like a five hour podcast. So I'm really excited to chat about this one in some uh, depth with you. Yeah, it's it's kind of been um, this recurring tease on my podcast because, I mean, I've literally have mentioned T10 like, I don't know, like seven in like seven different episodes, but yet still have not covered it fully on, on my pod yet. Um, just cause I'm like, kind of, I don't know, waiting for whenever that time will come. But so it's like, I literally keep talking about it all the time. And it just always like finds its way into conversations, but, uh, yeah, body horror, uh, I would say would be definitely be one of my horror MOs for sure. It's, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating subgenre that you can take a look at it in you know some of these supernatural ways as we did um uh not the fly but starry eyes first uh starry eyes yes so it's like starry eyes uh, i don't know why i forgot that one of my favorite <laughs> movies i'm literally looking at a starry eyes tattoo on my hand um but yeah because it's like what whatever subgenre you pair body horror with it works like you can explore it in a supernatural way like we did with uh starry eyes um it, it can be uh it finds its way into sci-fi um whether it be the fly or the thing um, or it can still be like realistic and very human in this way, whenever it's just literally, you know, humans dealing with, um, you know, the fears of their body betraying them. And I mean, this is as straightforward as it gets. I mean, I don't know if there is a supernatural thing going on. Who knows with that, <laughs> but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But, you know, body horror, uh, the longer that I've been obviously been trying to like familiarize myself with maybe lesser known body horror films outside of something like The Fly and whatnot, it really is this very malleable thing that I think most people associate it with it being more of like a spectacle type of subgenre, right? It's like, oh, let's see somebody shred their body or go through some type of horrific transformation. But when you start to really familiarize yourself with a lot more of the genre other than just like the main outliers, it really does become this thing where it complements and it, I think the best examples of body horror are the ones where, like you had said, it's at the core of 
people and sort of exploring these very personable things that they're going through majority of the time, whether it be mm-hmm. like heartbreak or sort of found family or feeling lost or having this conflict of like who you are, or what you're going through and these different things that body horror really is able to be applied to those different plights in a way that is horrifying. But at the same time, it's in service of something stronger than just being like a gross out or something. And of course, like all of the body horror movies that I enjoy, of course, have very disgusting transformations that people go through and grotesque uh, whether it be like shredding of one's body or literally changing into something other that is not human it's still the idea though that they have to do that legwork and sort of just establishing that these are people that you actually want to either care about or learn more about or become invested in in some way because otherwise it's like yeah you could enjoy it for just the spectacle of it but then it's probably one of those things where it'd be a movie that you kind of see and then you just move on from move on to the next thing whereas a movie that we're going to talk about today has so many different layers to it. And it was one that on the most recent, I mean, I've only rewatched it the one time since I'd seen it in theaters and just getting such a more of an appreciation for it after the initial sort of shock or sensory overload of uh, the movie has surpassed. Mm. I mean, it's a movie that I think really deserves to be rewatched because you get not only a greater understanding of just all the layers to it, but how everything kind of is in service of something. And that was something that Walking out of the theater the first time when I saw it, I was kind of like, well, are all the elements in this really in service to the body horror elements? Is the body horror element really in service to some of the directions that the film goes in? But really on a rewatch, I was able to get a greater appreciation for Duquino's ability just to like intertwine all of these different elements into something that feels like a gradual evolution from Raw. And that's where I'd like to start. I mean... You've seen Raw, I assume, her first film. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just covered Raw on the podcast um, back in December. Um, and that was a film that I really enjoyed, um, but didn't have quite the overwhelming love that a lot of people had, especially can, considering I, I feel like that movie um, is one of those movies that hits a lot harder if you are, if you are, um, if you identify female. And, you know, maybe you could kind of say the same for this one, but not nearly as much. I'd say this one is a little more um, equal plated and um, and, you know, Raw is very straightforward. Um, It gives you the answer to all your questions at the end of the movie. And it's like, boom, there you go. It's pretty clean versus this one. It was like this was a one that just lingered in my brain for a while because I I remember coming out of the theater I wasn't sure how much I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, I know I really liked a lot of that. I might've loved it, but do I understand it right now? And it literally was just like a week of just like kind of thinking about it. And I would like read other people's reactions and articles. I just like thought about it a lot. It like, and, and I really um, appreciate movies like that because it definitely wasn't what I was expecting going in. I tried to, levy my expectations you know, whenever you go into movies but i saw you know people raving about this after can and it was you know it won the palm door and i was like oh shit and like i and i didn't i didn't read a synopsis for it i didn't watch a trailer nothing the only things that i read were like people's reactions on twitter um and just seeing that alone um just seeing the the very different reactions these very visceral reactions i was like okay you know i feel like this is gonna be 
something for me. So it's like I knew I knew there was a gal that killed people. I knew she fucked cars. That, that was all I knew. And that's very true for the first 30 minutes of the movie. But I was not expecting, you know, this um, further explorations of um, our of our bodies and uh, found family and all these other, you know, so many other things that were in it that I just like was not ready for. Yeah, I went into it very much like you did in that I basically had heard that rumbling or that like tag that or elevator pitch everybody threw out there, which was like, yeah, it's a horror movie from the woman that did Raw and uh, the protagonist fucks the car. And that was it. And it was kind of like, well, going into it, I was expecting something very strange, very weird. And I was like you in that when I saw the movie and I walked out of the theater, I thought about it a lot, but I wasn't sure if it was a movie that I actually really enjoyed. I was like, well... And can I not stop thinking about this because it's unlike anything I'd seen or any film that had had such a sort of like outlandish premise that then completely changes course at about the 30 minute mark or 40 minute mark in terms of like veering out of what I was kind of like pitched on or outside of that elevator pitch mm-hmm. into something very different and not to say different in a negative way, but just very different and unexpected in a way that it was almost a little jarring for me because it was it felt like it was leaning out of the horror to a certain extent when it's having a focus on just like people and where they're at and how they're adapting to certain situations which is fine but it just felt so wholly unfamiliar in a way that i wasn't expecting and you know on this rewatch that's the reason why i think i enjoyed even more so after watching it again and i'm sure that um i will just moving forwards with the film because like you had said it dabbles in so many themes outside of just that sort of elevator pitch that's very broad and along the lines of what somebody might be like, well, it kind of just sounds like a spectacle, right? It's kind of like, well, it's a character that fucks Mm -hmm. cars. Like how much more could there be to this other than trying to elicit a reaction? And that's, I think, what was so shocking for me when obviously I had seen it and then on the rewatch was that it's able to do all of this sort of, it's almost, it's absurd to a certain extent, right? That idea or that premise, but it's able to ground that in such a way that, you never check out of it in terms of being like, well, she's just going to fuck cars the rest of this movie. But no, really, the film evolves into something much more than that. And yet it never loses sight of that sort of like body horror basis for the film itself. Um, you mentioned the found mm-hmm. family uh, aspect, and that was an element that I was really taken with in terms of being a perfect vessel for these performances. And I mean, on your podcast, you gave Agat Rizel, who plays Alexia. Uh, she was your favorite female performance of the year. And we talked about it a little bit, but like, what about her performance was such a standout for you amongst the year? Um, I mean, it was, I just love those very, um, you know, fearless first performances. You know, it's like sometimes you can tell when it's an actor's first performance and, you know, they kind of seem like they're tiptoeing around or they're a little little scared kind of going into it and Agatha Russell just had this just like such confidence in what she was doing throughout the film um at being will willing to show so many different sides you know we like open the movie and we kind of see this uh you know the very sexy side of her but you know you're also watching that opening scene but you're watching her facial expressions 
and you're just like okay like yeah like she's like sexy and all but also like there's so much more going on and then like as the film goes on like um but then also when you have an actress that is willing to let themselves look like shit like whenever (laughs) they just like you know beat themselves like literally beat themselves up in this movie but being willing to be unpretty to you know further this thing and i mean that sounds shallow as if like that's what actresses try to do but as but in general though like just uh, that willingness to just go there and with this movie like yeah you it, you know she's playing a serial killer <laughs> that fucks cars and but yet by the end of the movie you are still empathizing with this character and that's such a wild thing to be able to do with a character like this in the movie and so much of that is on Roselle like so much of the performances um at not speaking that that is like a big point in the movie um but like she like you know doesn't talk that much and then it's kind of played into you know with Vincent thinking it's because of one thing but it's really because like she just doesn't express she doesn't know how to express herself like she she very much is like a you know like a metallic person herself like she is like kind of like a a robot or like kind of you know confides in cars because like she just is so foreign to other people and the way that Roussel is able to um show that and um just you know be able to put their body on full display in a vulnerable way that just like i mean like when you think about it, half this movie, Russell's titties are out. Yeah. Like for literally half this movie, but you don't think about it because it's not about that. It's not like there's nothing, you know, besides that opening scene, there's nothing being sexualized in this movie. It's all about just, you know, presenting the human body in its rawest form. And having a performance like this is like, you know, just so very well needed. Like it, it just, yeah, I don't know that there's there's something about it. It's just like, when, when you see a performance like this, it's like, you know, whenever agents go, uh, yeah, yeah, she's got that that thing. Uh, Roussel has that thing, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And, you know, again, like the first time I saw the movie, it was it was just so out of my understanding of what the film was actually going to be that, if anything, I was more paying attention to, like, the different avenues that the narrative took rather than the performance themselves because I was just so wrapped up in trying to follow, like, just the directions it was going and trying to predict what was going to happen next and all these things that I really did pay a lot more attention to the nuances of her performance, I think, on my rewatch, especially after talking with you about it in some depth. And it's an incredibly physical and daring performance for somebody that had never had experience doing it outside of, I think she had done two or three short films, but clearly not somebody that is like a classically trained actress or maybe an actress that has a lot of experience. Um, And, you know, to open the movie that way with having such an erotic scene and at the same time, though, it plays off against the sort of like the tour that she takes of that car show at the very beginning where she's walking through in her street clothes and you kind of are getting glimpses of what I would imagine is like a very traditional type of car show experience where it's like these models that are like all dolled up and glammed up and they're like kind of they're rubbing themselves against cars and stuff or whatever. And it's supposed to be sexual, but at the same time, you can just see like, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be doing it. And I think they convey that in that opening moment, right? You you kind of get that very, again, like traditional idea of what goes, what those type of dances would be like, where it's like, yeah, they're giving the car a suds bath and then they're getting bubbles and stuff all over them or whatever. But everybody is lacking a certain rhythm that 
she brings to her dance when it's time for her. And I love that transition where she walks by the hood of the car in her street clothes and then the camera kind of lingers on the hood of the car and then it pans up and she's like all dressed up now and she's glad such up. a fucking cool transition yeah, like which i uh, missed the first time it was such a fantastic transition and then you get her dance and it's the sense that it's not for anybody that's there like the other people right the other people they don't want to be there that are the performers or the models they don't want to be there and they're doing this just to go through the rhythm but then her dance is so specifically erotic and it seems actually choreographed unlike the other ones right it's it seems like there's been a lot of thought put in this. She knows how to scale the car without denting it. And she knows how to be on the vehicle without destroying parts of it or whatever. And you get so much insight into her character without her saying anything. And that goes through basically the entire movie. She barely talks. And yet you can derive so much from her and her experience and kind of just feel, I guess, how lost she is or how confused she is or how just at odds she is with the world around her in a way that that first scene, I mean, it's so critical to that, I think, in a way that I didn't appreciate, obviously, the first time I saw the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. It sets up, you know, this this aspect to her that, yeah, she just very much doesn't feel like she fits, you know, with people or doesn't um, feel like that people accept or want her for other reasons besides sexual reasons. And like you said, this this car dance isn't sexual for her. This is it, it isn't for the other people like, you know, this is work that she's you know doing to that she's doing the show to other people, as you can see, like all these people like want her autograph and she's just like so not about it. Yeah. She's like, oh, whatever, like, I guess. But like, yeah, but in that moment, you know, she's having this moment with the car that like because again like the, it like she would kind of flash back and forth like she would kind of have this like non-lethargic look on her face but then she would get really into it and then like you would see just like her like hands like gripping the hood tighter and like she she's like grinding at one point and like just like does this like real quick lick of the hood and i was just like oh god like you know <laughs> like but like that, that those are the the real um alexa alexia moments that we see in this movie but um you know and and, and everybody, like you said, like, you know, when you go in and you're thinking about this elevator pitch and whenever it shifts and like, sometimes I don't like it when people distill a movie down to something so simple that it's like, oh yeah, it's this girl, she's really into cars. And it's like, you know what? I'm fine with people thinking that going into this because then they're going to kind of get hit with that curveball even harder. You know, like that's like, you know, people um, like recently that's happened with like a pig also. Like when, when, you know, people mention pig, you're like, oh, what's pig about? Oh, the, you know, it's Nick Cage and his truffle pig gets stolen and he goes to, goes after it. And then it's like, oh, okay. So I know what this movie is. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't know what this movie is. Um, so it's like, I like uh, letting, letting that be the thing that like um, people go into. So that way it like, you know, takes a shift, but it all connects though. Like I, I've heard a lot of people that kind of, they're like, does the car fucking and you know pregnant car baby even connect to the other things in the film like is it so different and like yeah after a first watch it you know you feel like you watch two different movies and you and you do question whether or not like do those actually go together are they complementing each other in the way that they're supposed to and it just like it really just took time like it like like literally letting it just like kind of seep in and then like kind of because like raw like i said is very straightforward like you, you get you know like you have questions and there's a mystery but by the end your questions are answered and it's a very kind of straightforward plain thing versus this one decorno like kind of 
gives us a lot of pieces to something and goes here, make whatever you want out of it. Um, you know, like it's like a smoothie. Like she gave us a bunch of fruits and goes, you can make whatever kind of smoothie you want out of it, whatever flavor that it's going to be to you. But even still there, you know, from what she wanted, there is, um, a very clear connection between, you know, how Alexia feels about these cars and how she feels about the world around her. Yeah. And that was kind of leading into my next question, which was the incorporation of body horror. I mean, it helps to bolster so many of the other thematics within the film. Um, and I'm curious for you, like what outside of body horror before we dive back into the more, you know, uh, transformation, goriness of the film and the direction that it takes. I mean, what uh, what is the thematic outside of body horror that is really bolstered by the body horror elements the most for you? Um, I mean, it's... I mean, it's besides the body horror, it's, you know, just kind of this, this fear of um, when you know that you are different in a way from other people and, and not only can you not understand it, but let alone if you can't understand how you convey that to other people. So like having that fear, and I, I see this, you know, a lot of people, you know, when you're kind of looking at some of the um, queer readings of the film. Um, a lot of people, you know, is this a trans story? And um, I would say this definitely could be a trans story as far as, you know, not feeling at home in your body, in your own skin, um, in that kind of thing. And um, I could totally see it. I actually kind of, I kind of see this as I see Alexia as asexual and her trying to come to terms with that. Because I think, there is this like idea and fear that she just, you know, expects to be sexualized, you know, like she does this work, um, does these car shows, like after, um, after a show, she's like stalked by this creepy dude who just like, he forces, uh, you know, her to give him an autograph and then he's like lingering in the window and then just like forces a kiss on, like makes her like all these things. And that's just what she expects from people, you know? And we kind of see that at the end of the movie, whenever, after everything that her and like Vincent have like went through and she's just so confused. She just like, even she's, she's leaking car oil and like ripping at the seams, but yet she was still trying to seduce him because that's just what she knows and expects, but she hasn't like allowed herself to be like, Hey, it's okay if I'm not sexually attracted to other people. Um, and you know, that's where the car metaphor comes in and not saying that's how asexuality works, that if you're not <laughs> sexually attracted to people, that it makes you attracted to objects, not how it works, but for the metaphor of it all, you know, that's kind of where it starts to come in. So it's like, there's this fear of, you know, so it's like when she has that encounter with Justine, um, and you know, Justine calls it out like, Oh, is this your first time with a girl? Like, you know, obvious that it probably is because, She's like, I'm obviously not attracted to men. So, okay, let me see if it's, if I'm attracted to women and, you know, and she's not even attracted to the moment they're having, she's just fascinated about the nipple ring <laughs> right. because it's, you know, because it's made of metal, you know? So it's like all these things do connect um, in very small ways, even when you're like kind of not thinking about, it. but so I, I see this asexual, asexuality story um, where, you know, she's forming this bond with Vincent is like, oh, I can have this bond with somebody and it doesn't have to be sexual. Somebody can still care for me and love me without it being sexual. And uh, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and that's why I said that uh, on your podcast, I said that Vincent's performance is, was my favorite male performance of the year in the ways in which that 
he's able to convey much like Alexia, he's able to convey so much through saying very little. I mean, when you have that introduction of, you know, after she's changed her appearance, uh, she looks like this wanted poster of a missing boy that she sees in the bus terminal when she's uh, on a, her most recent killing spree, which I'm sure we'll circle back to. Um, and she literally transforms her body. And then you get a cut of him walking to what's basically like an observation room in the police station. And just that walk, which is only like 20 seconds, just of the camera sta- uh, looking up at him as he's walking and staring at the floor. That's your first introduction to him. And you can just tell everything you need to know about that character and sort of his mind state and where he's at in his life just from that kind of like blank stare at the floor. And then you have that moment where the cop is like, well, is this your son? And it wasn't a moment that I could appreciate the first time I'd seen the movie, but it became very clear to me on the rewatch and just learning and knowing about the arc that him and Alexia take and how they both are finding each other at the perfect point in their lives because they're just, both of them are spiraling in different ways. One spiral is going to probably take longer than the other, but nevertheless, they're both spiraling to this very chaotic conclusion. Um, And when the curtain comes up and he sees her sitting there as her son, it doesn't matter who's sitting there because you can just tell that it could be anybody sitting there. And he would have said yes, because at that moment, it seems like this is what he needs to kind of like fill that hole in his heart that's never going to be filled. And I mean, just seeing the way in which that relationship grows from the inception of that to him trying to still deal with his own issues. And I think that that's what's important. And it really speaks to the ability of uh, Duconeau's ability to like layer characters that aren't just like there to be reactionary to something like their plot is not just like trying to uncover who Alexia really is or trying to get to the bottom of like what's really happening with the car and why she's able to get pregnant. Like those are never really the focus. It's more about meeting these people and seeing how they inform one another's current place in their own lives. Like Vincent himself is multi-layered in that he's not only grappling with, you know, the loss of a child and trying to learn how to maneuver life after that point, but like grappling with the reality of him getting older and his body failing him and that he is in a very, you know, testosterone macho driven, uh, or that's an element rather of his line of work, which is like being a firefighter, like being strong and tough. And if you have to be the leader of these much younger men, Mm -hmm. like you can't show any weakness. And that's really like something that dominates his life to the point of him, like taking steroids, uh, abusing steroids and all of these things. And it's just very interesting to see two characters that have nothing in common other than the fact that they're both spiraling with what they themselves are grappling with and just seeing them converge in a way that doesn't feel like it's meant to just like push along a certain plot point. It's more so about seeing how these people affect one another's lives, like where they are internally or mentally at that point. Yeah, it it, it really is just that they, it's them learning and accepting like, okay, it doesn't matter the differences and who the person is that's like, we both need each other in a way. And, you know, and like learning that because, because it's interesting because it's like the first time that I watched this, it hit me really hard that like, I didn't like, I didn't think that Vincent knew, you know, who Alexia was until like a certain point in the movie. Um, at like that point in the bathroom where, you know, and then she reveals her breasts and he like, kind of just like 
covers her back up and then it's just like and i remember like that moment hitting really hard and being like oh my god like he knows and it's all good but then rewatching, it's like, no, like whenever, like you said, like at the police station, he knows instantly that that's not his son. Um, like he, you know, the police says, oh, uh, we'll get the DNA test tomorrow. He goes, for what? He's like, you don't think I can recognize my son? Like, we don't need it because he, he literally knows. He knows his son is dead, um, you know, and like, and I thought, I, and I, and like I said, the first time around, I didn't think that I, I thought he was still like hopeful that that was his son. But then once he realized it wasn't, he still says it's whatever, but like, no, he knows out the gate that Alexia is not a son. Um, but, and, and the, the wife, you know, like kind of makes it seem like he's like delusional that like, he's like living out a delusion, but it's, it's him saying like, this is what I need for closure. Like I need some sort of closure and like, okay, I get that my kid is dead and I get that this is not my kid, but I'd still need this closure for me and, you know, for my emotional journey. And it, no matter who it is, he's ready to just be and care for that person. And it says a lot about him as, you know, a person, cause again, he is a firefighter, like very selfless job and, um, and, and, a and a career that also is very much into found family. You know, it's like, these are guys that, you know, risk their lives with each other. So it's like, it's very common that firefighters have this like very strong familial bond to them. And uh, I love that shown in this movie too. Like the, the way that it's shown in such a like very wholesome manner, like it's because it, like there's, you know, there is one scene where it's like, they are being like very extra macho and stuff. But besides that, it's like this movie, you know, it goes against a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, you know, it's like you have these buff firefighters dancing in purple lighting and, you know, just like and being very comfortable with each other. Um, it, so it's like, yeah, the, there's so much to Vincent's character. And, and at first on the rewatch, when I realized that I go, uh, does it hit as hard now if I know that he knew the whole time? Um, because then I, I kind of just did start thinking of his motives, like, OK, if he did know, then why would he still do this is there some was there like some weird no stuff and it's like no he, again it's it's not weird it's just he knows that it's like this is what i need like i just need this closure and i'm gonna help this person along the way as well that realization that i had just like you on the rewatch um i think is what really bolstered my enjoyment of the film just so many other little things clicking because when you watch the movie the first time like being in this weird kind of like guessing game of does he know does he not know it kind of manipulated my interpretation of a lot of the reactions of things that were happening like oh why is he having such a aggressive reaction especially like when the one of the younger firefighters basically uncovers the fact that Alexia is not really Adrian and wants to reveal mm -hmm. that and when he tries to pull Vincent aside and tell him that Vincent says don't like we don't talk about my son like super aggressively and that when I originally saw it, I was kind of like, why is he so aggressive about that? Like they all work together. Why wouldn't they be talking together? And now on the rewatch, that really kind of just solidified the fact that he knows and that he very possibly could do what he told Alexia that he would do, which was like, if anybody tries to hurt you, I'll kill them, which he then follows, uh, actually like tries to do at one point in the movie and whatnot. And that all clicks in a way that really does kind of just take that found family aspect and also kind of pair that with like how people grapple with trauma and everything like that. I mean, you see these bonds through trauma, whether the trauma is 
a shared one or if they're just two people that have traumatic pasts that come together, you can find a bond in that regardless of if the situational nature of their trauma links up, right? I mean, you have Alexia's relationship with cars and whatnot. Well, her trauma stems from like slamming her head against the window in a car crash, whereas his trauma comes from losing a child and not being able to accept that. And I think that like you had mentioned the sort of the trying to understand his motives at certain points and like wondering, is this kind of weird? Is there something else going on here? Like with the relationship, I think that feeling dissipated on the rewatch because of the understanding that this is more about just like trying to feel baseline. Okay. (laughs) For lack of a better phrase. I mean, for him, Mm -hmm. it's just finding a way to like make the pain stop without it being physical from him trying to like get back in shape, something that, at his age is not realistic to compete with the much younger generation or like to get him to stop a remedy other than like drinking a whole bottle of wine and a single meal or a single mm-hmm. sitting or something like that. Um, and I think that that's yeah. really what I think people could struggle to grasp on a first watch of this movie. Like we said, to try to like shy away from that, just like very boiled down uh, water cooler description of what the movie is and where it goes, because at the core of it, it deals with a lot of, these sort of real world um, realities that people face and whatnot in a way that doesn't feel like it's made a mockery of through that, again, the sort of absurdist body horror thing at the center or at the periphery of much of the movie. Yeah, no, there's, um, you know, because whenever you spend so much time thinking about like, okay, how did this car pregnancy happen? Like, you know, what, why is she doing this? Um, why does she kill people? You know, and it, you know, it, they do kind of present it like outright, you know, whenever the car accident happens that like something's already a little off with Alexia. And then I, in the car accident, I guess, like kind of exacerbated that maybe um, is like how, what they're insinuating. And, you know, it's like with this, you know, the pregnancy, it's like kind of is like kind of symbolizing, you know, like, yeah, that that trauma that she is carrying with her that, um, you know, that she literally tries to keep in and push in and bind within her body that, you know, and it's like, no, like, this is the time that you need to deal with this, um, you know, and it, it comes in the form of, you know, this is a consequence from her, you know, she kills all those people in the in the house and then instead of you know dealing with it she runs away you know she like goes home for a second but then she says nah i'm just gonna and like you know her dad sees her and instead she just you know runs away and so it's like it's this you know ticking time bomb be like no this is the if you do not deal with this like bad things are gonna happen like and um, so it's like that you, you get that this whole time and and you know going over that 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 um initial kill scene real quick mm-hmm. um super funny um <laughs> i love um julia de Curno's dark sense of humor because we kind of because it's like you know raw is also pretty um straightforward and bleak and um but has a very dark sense of humor when like uh, especially like between the sisters and so it's like i love seeing that in this as well um that you know she just casually goes on this you know massacre in this house Cause I guess when she goes to hang out, with Justine, they're having like a sex party, um, yeah. you know? So it's like when Ju- her and Justine come in and she like kills Justine, um, which, um, you know, the actress that 
from Raw, and her name is also Justine in Raw. I don't know what to do with that. You know, <laughs> um, at the end of Raw, Justine is now sexually liberated and knows about her cannibalistic ways. Maybe she went into car show dancing after college. Who knows? I don't know. But um, and then, yeah, and then just like the the way that all these kids keep coming back and she's just like, oh, my God, there's another one. How many of there are you? And I just uh, I love that scene. I think it's really great. And we uh, get some unique, you know, it, it, it also presents it the, the way that we see the gory stuff in this kids like the movie is pretty visual, but like, it's all about the aftermath usually of certain things that they show you, um, which I really appreciate. Like um, the, the, whenever she kills old dude, putting the stool in his mouth and that's sitting on it. So good. <laughs> it's so disgusting. And they, you know, they, and they don't like do like a, you know, close up lingering shot of his face. It's there. They don't hide it. It's just not the focus of the shot. And then like when you do actually like look at his face, like, oh my God, that's fucking gnarly. <laughs> she has such a great sensibility about, like you had said, pairing violence with dark humor, but also in the way that the I mean, this is almost a two-hour movie, and I think that it goes by incredibly quickly for me, more so than a lot of two-hour horror movies that I've seen. And that, like you had said, she doesn't linger on that money shot that some other directors maybe would linger on for like a handful of seconds. It's very matter of fact. And if anything, I think that the violence really like her kind of casualness with which inflicting violence and the fact that she's so quick to move on from it. And if anything, the violence is escalating that we're seeing in terms of it going from, yeah, she kills this one guy that was going to try to assault her to now she's massacred an entire orgy house where the people. And I think she even has that great line um, where the one guy comes out of the back room and he's like, are more coming? And she's like, I hope not. Because in just that realization that it's like, man, there's this, there's like five or six people deep in this house now that she has to kill. But none of the kills really have that lingering money shot in the sense that it shows just her spiral and how she's moving on to the next thing. And either she's going to go kill more people or she's going to try to run away or we don't know what's happening. But there's such a an immediacy to everything that feels very organic in terms of like her plight and what she's going through. It doesn't feel as if it's being orchestrated or that there's any real goal that she has, which I think could make her sort of feel like a comic book villain at a certain type or like a hand, a theatrical serial killer where she is just a sort of matter of fact serial killer. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because, you know, like you said, like when we see that first kill, it is presented like, Oh, like he totally deserved it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like she's, you know, defending herself. Um, but then, yeah. And then like when she massacres this house, but then, and it's like, I thought back there, cause there's a moment whenever she's having, uh, you know, eating her very strange brunch. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you um, brought that she up. <laughs> grabs so many things. Yeah. I hate when characters in movies do that. It's like, you don't need to grab everything right. that you're going to eat. Just <laughs> grab it as you eat it. You fucking weirdo, but she is a weirdo. But, um, on the news, it says, you know, when it's reporting the kill, it says that this has been the fourth victim. So before the movie even starts, she has already killed three other people that we don't know about. We don't know what happened, why she did it. So it's like, yeah, she literally is already a serial killer, fourth victim. So then it's like when she kills all the people in the house, it's like, oh, well, yeah, she's just a fucking maniac. Um, so it, it, it and it's, yeah, very matter of fact. Like I, it very much, I love how that is like very much the back burner on this movie. Cause like, again, like you get to the end and you're all in your feels about everything. Like, Oh my God, they love each other. And now he's going to take care of her baby. And then it's like, 
but then it's like oh yeah she's also killed eight people in this movie like she is a like through and through serial killer and like the way that the movie like makes you forget about that is incredible and julia decurno's pacing too like you mentioned the the runtime um it very much knows when to you know put put gas on the pedal and push you and like you know hit you some like crazy shocking stuff and then like and then mellow you out and then like you know we have some emotional beats and then we have some very wholesome beats and then you know and then she'll and then she'll push you to the edge again and then you know let you come back in a way like a very very expert pacing yeah and i mean the moment that uh comes just before that house massacre which is a great blending of you know dark humor and violence that we mentioned is her trying to abort her car baby which is incredibly oh. upsetting and skin crawling and painful in a way uh neither one of us could ever know and it's such an uncomfortable moment and then to follow that up with a moment of unabashed violence and essentially like a moment of levity after that and then you know leading back into the reality that she is this serial killer this person that oh it's not justified killings obviously after we just saw i forget if the house of the um realization that she's a serial killer is before or after that which did you say i forgot it's Um, either comes before or after that before that yeah before that but it's the type of thing, though, where she's able to play with the viewer's perception of this character in such a way that, I don't know, it, it feels, again, it's it's matter of fact in that the film lacking the theatricality that I think goes along with a lot of like serial killer movies or something like that. Like she never she seems very believable in that. Like, yeah, she doesn't say much during the course of the movie, but she shows us who she is rather than having to like dole out exposition that gives like some kind of fucked up ideology she has behind what she's doing or anything like that. I think it's the perfect portrayal of somebody that is confused for a variety of reasons where it gets to the point where like, could she even explain why she's going on this killing spree outside of, you know, the original one where the guy tried to assault her, Um, which I think it really just kind of complements the film tackling such a variety of different themes and different places where characters are at and their own inner struggles and things like that. Or well, oh no, I guess actually the 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 her self-abortion is literally right before she kills everybody yeah. because she does it in the bathroom of the house there. I totally forgot that that's where she did it, not at her place. And it, you know, and I feel like it was, you know, and then so yeah, doing that it's like when she's about to kill all these people, she already kind of knows like she then she's like you know, like I've already killed one person. Well, four people already killed somebody last night. Now I'm dealing with this. Like, okay, I'm at a point of no return now. So it's just like, fuck it. I'm going to just like do all this. And then again, like now I'm going to run. Um, and, and the, the way that that scene happens too, is like so upsetting, but it like also like, again, kind of plays in this way that it, it shows like kind of her disregard for her body in a way um in like a like oh my gosh like like when people call you know your body your meat sack like she literally treats her body like a meat sack because like she's doing this and kind of has like an unflinchingness about it because she's just like ah, i don't want this like why would why would i want a baby that's why i fuck cars because i don't want any babies <laughs> but yeah then she gets played so it's like um you know the, this idea of like you know feel feeling betrayed by your body because like you know, society expects you to, you know, expects women to, you're a woman, you, you, you have the parts to make babies. So you need to be making babies. 
So I feel like it kind of might be something against that as well, because like I said, like she's like, I don't really have sexual attraction to men. Women don't really do it for me. It's, you know, cars are what rev me up. So it's like, I, and I should feel safe in that a- a- angle of not being able to get pregnant. But the movie is like, is like kind of against society being like, no, you are a woman and you will get pregnant. Damn it. So it's like, you know, it kind of can be seen in that way. And then her being like, well, geez, I like, I really don't want this. Um, you know, so it's like, I, you know, and again, like when you can kind of look at it as a trans story of, you know, when she's, you know, does she kind of settle into the identity of Adrian? Um, but I don't know if I see it in that way. I see it more of just like, I don't want my current body itself and I'm willing to just like do whatever is necessary to not have to deal with it. Um, so I'm not sure. I think I'm in agreement with you on that in terms of, I don't buy that she herself fully buys into the transformation into Adrian. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that it is very much her trying to work out her own sort of understanding of who she is in this world trying to combat against a lot of the norms or the societal expectations. I mean, just the way that that first scene um, where she has that kill of that guy that tries to assault her is, is that very typically you would assume like, oh, well, he's going to assault her and he feels comfortable in doing that because, you know, he is this man, this strong figure. And then, of course, it ends up with her playing against what the society would expect would happen in that she kills him and she stops that from happening in a way that, you know, people... I don't know, the societal expectation that women in general are powerless and then playing against that in such a profound way. And then Mm -hmm. moving into like her trying to understand the identity that she is in currently. I mean, I would think that the dance that she does on top of the fire truck at the end of towards the end of the movie would indicate that she still doesn't buy into this identity that she's adopted herself. Right. Because it wouldn't really make sense. I guess that style, like she does that very seductive dance that is more in line with her old identity and her old life and is not in tune with like the way that the other male firefighters dance. Like dancing is not out of the common or out of the ordinary for this group of firefighters and stuff. We get a couple moments of them doing this and yet hers is so foreign from what they have been doing still that like she still can't really understand which identity matches which moments. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of see that as like, you know, by that point, that's when she's like, well, you know, Vincent knows the truth now. And like, if this is going to be in my life, then like, okay, here, I'll show him like a little of the real me and like starts doing like that seductive dance. And then like, yeah, when they're just like kind of confused and then it's like, oh, okay. So I'm, you know, you, you still, even though, even though I'm not Adrian, you still have certain expectations of Adrian and like, you know, that's going to be off-putting to you. Um, very interesting. Cause I remember the first time I watched the movie, I didn't really understand what they were going for yeah. in that scene. Neither did I. And then I, I was just, by that point, I was just like, what? And then I was like, this is just awkward. But then like now I'm like, okay, I totally get it. And also interesting, you know, um, this uh, plays into Julia DeCorneau's uh, De uh, use of music, you know, cause uh, the, in the beginning of the movie in the car during the car accident, they're listening to where fang stranger. And then the dance on top of the, the fire truck is a like sexy version of um, where, where fang stranger. So um, very interesting. Um, you know, I feel like she's very intentional with her um, song choices. Um, you know, she has 
she has a pretty solid taste. I knew that in raw. And then, um, but you know, that, that scene, you know, that I'd say is like probably the you know most gif scene of the movie is, you know, the, um, after the firefighters, you know, go stop a fire and then they go back and celebrate by getting drunk and dancing together. And, um, it's very wholesome. It's, um, that song is, uh, the lighthouse by future islands and future islands is like one of my favorite bands. Um, so I remember in theaters, as soon as like that started playing, I was like, Oh my God, I was like, I love the song. And, and it, but, and, and I don't know if I just read into it. Cause I just think very musically when it comes to, um, everything, including films, but, um, the lyrics of this, of this song kind of explain a lot of the major themes in the movie. Um, you know, the main lyric, um, the main lyric being, I've seen the way that bodies lie and tend to break, um, you know, kind of playing at that, again, that betrayal of the body, you know, whether it be for Vincent, you know, who is, again, yeah, struggling with this lack of strength and it, you know, makes him kind of, again, like you said, like kind of question some of his masculinity, but it's also ironic because he does steroids in a pink bathroom, <laughs> you know, which is, yeah, I feel like is also very intentional. So it's like when we, um, you know, he, you know, obviously doesn't, you know, feels very secure in his masculinity, but um, is also, you know, just scared of, you know, his body, like, you know, betraying him at a point in a, you know, especially, like you said, in a career where it's like, you know, you kind of need to be strong to be able to like undo this job. Um, so like kind of makes sense. There's another lyric. Um, and what I wouldn't catch you for, and when I wouldn't catch you for the fall, um, and kind of, you know, again, Vincent, you know, grappling with his feelings that he like, wasn't able to save his son, but wants to still make this connection with Alexia, you know, not only for his closure, but obviously cause she needs it too. Um, and, um, and then there's one that says, uh, outside of me inspired me. I showed you the dark and you said to me, you know, what is better. Um, and so it's like, again, like, it's like, it, you know, it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, we are the, you know, and like we found each other in this like very dark place and are the ones that are like kind of pushing us through. So I don't know. I like to read into lyrics like that. And it's also just a very great scene of, you know, these guys like kind of just like, you know, uh, Vincent kind of sh shows his, um, lets his guard down a, a few times in the movie is like kind of a thing that he does is he, you know, he likes to dance. Like, what, like one of the very first scenes when he's like trying to make, um, uh, Alex feel comfortable you know when they're eating dinner he like puts on a song and just starts dancing and, like being goofy and then they like kind of start roughhousing um kind of showing like you know that that dichotomy of you know like this is you know this is what you know positive masculine it looks like like yeah like you have the the rough them up stuff but it's like he's also like you know not afraid to you know just let his body move and stuff like he's not a great dancer or anything but he's very much into it you know so it's like I love that um that characteristic for him. Yeah, no, I think uh, your analysis on the music and the use of music and dance in the film is great because it does, again, furthermore, it says what characters are never going to come out and say themselves in some kind of like contrived instance or something like that. They're showing how they feel rather than us having to be told. I mean, that rough house uh, dance scene, I mean, the name of that song is called She's Not There by the zombies and like that in and of itself, I didn't uh, go through all the lyrics, but like just having that be the title of the song where yeah. she's learning that 
if she's going to coexist in this new environment and be accepted into this new semblance of family, like she has to fully adapt and adopt to being Adrian. And like, you really do see that, I think in the next scene or shortly thereafter, where like half of her head is shaved and it shows her scar. And then she's like reluctant to let him finish shaving her head. And then it's after his almost overdose on uh, steroids and like being shit faced that she completely shaves her head like immediately the next day, which is then kind of leading into fully donning that new persona. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the, the moment because yeah, she was like about to like get on the, get on the bus and then, but then goes back and it's like just in time to like save him. Like if she had not been like, you know what, maybe this isn't so bad. Let me go back and embrace this. Then he would have died, you know? So it's like, you know, this is that literal moment, you know, where she's the one saving him um and like what he needed and like and it's like another clue that i should have known the first time around that like that he knew because like obviously that scar she has on her head has like been there for a while <laughs> like this is not your kid um definitely not your kid one other thing about that scene that you mentioned where all the firefighters are celebrating um that when i was just thinking in terms of like that being one of the few instances where vincent i think shows that he feels adequate or he's in a space that's at that he feels like he's not in competition with anybody in a way that I didn't pick up on the first time but like how and you know you described it as being very wholesome like yeah there is this macho energy that permeates a lot of those scenes but with the firefighters rather but at the same time they're able to show that brotherhood in a sense that you wouldn't with characters maybe that we would have to have like a bunch of instances of them like we never basically get that scene where like people are fighting for his position of power or something like that. Rather, we're shown that like through this brotherhood, them in their downtime, they're all equals and he's able to feel adequate. Whereas when you contrast that to like the scene where he shoots up and then he tries to go do chin ups and he basically like has a rage, a roid rage fit because he can't do a chin up. Um, like the contrast of those moments, I think is really important because it shows the two facets of that. And then it shows that he's not just this I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is he doesn't always have to be this person that is like so down in the dumps about his situation that can be somebody that you get to see little moments of what he used to be like probably before he dealt Mm -hmm. this great tragedy, Um, which furthermore just shows him as being this more complex character than just this, you know, missing a child uh, persona. Like you get to see glimpses of what he was like before that, which helps understand where he ends up at the very end of the film. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, at points where, yeah, it's like, you know, the very first instance that we see with him and his firefighters is like when he's introducing Adrian, he's like, he's like, well, who am I? I'm God. Mm-hmm. So if I'm God, this is Jesus. And don't talk to Jesus unless Jesus wants to be talked to you or like whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's really funny, but it's like, you know, so like, but our first instance is, you know, us kind of seeing the typical, like, oh, he's, you know, the, the very stern fire captain. And like, this is the guy that we're just, see but then like when we see these other moments like that he has you know um you know a vulnerability and like comfortability like with his people and you know kind of struggling with that uh dichotomy because like you know when you ask any stern but also like have like that like maybe um him working through you know the loss of adrian and is like him reminding himself that has that because like maybe before he like was a lot more um a lot more like that and um you know maybe you know maybe in the previously like maybe all the other guys do have these dance parties maybe he doesn't join usually but like you know like but him kind of rebuilding himself you know through this connection 
um, that he's found kind of, you know, reminds him of those things. Yeah. And it's the type of thing where it just really speaks to these characters that feel like their arcs are ta- are in line with the with the pacing that the film has in terms of like, we both mentioned that we think that this film has incredible pacing. And I find it so rare in a lot of movies, especially like, I don't know, not, I guess I shouldn't generalize, but like more often than not, you get to the third act with certain characters in horror movies. And sometimes it just feels like, well, they have this big development right in the third act. And it doesn't feel like it's necessarily been working towards that. Whereas this movie, the way that it's paced and the way that the character arcs line up with that by the conclusion of the movie, even though it is so twisted and horrific and so out of line with what you expect from movies that uh, try to dabble in some of the similar similar uh, subject matter, it feels like the movie can't end any other way. It feels like it has wholly been leading up to this moment, and that's why the mo- ending, I think, even on a re- or especially on a rewatch, um, it lands in a way for me that it didn't the first time. I think some of the nuances that I didn't pick up on originally, it was the type, it was the type of thing where I was like, well is this maybe losing the body horror element and then just coming back to it in the conclusion? But really I found that, and this is what I think is so great about the uh, subgenre is that it's so malleable that it doesn't need to be a constant factor. You don't have to have a bunch of shots of Alexia kind of just like scratching at her side constantly or, you know, finding another hole or having her skin start to separate that reveals the titanium belly and whatnot. You don't have to have that throughout the entire movie. I think that uh, Di uses those moments and those very clear genre moments at such key intervals of the movie that, A, it never lets you forget, obviously, that element of the film, but also that they never are done in... They never overshadow really the element that I think is what allows this movie to go on for as long as it does, but to never really lose my investment in what's happening or my interest in what's happening. She knows just when to insert another moment of whether it be, you know, a house massacre or Mm -hmm. having another one of those really overt body horror moments that you can't escape. And, you know, whether it's her leaking uh, motor oil in the shower or, you know, she's got the, uh, the hair stick and she's digging it into somebody's ear cavity. Um, it's the type of thing that she just knows perfectly where to put these moments that if anything, it strengthens the elements of the film that were the most surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like you said, like she picks the perfect timing to, to be reminders because the, because the, the real fear is like that it's happening this whole time. Like, you know, there's the, the improper binding um, that like she's continuously doing, you know, throughout the movie um, is like literally, you know, just like, tightening and ratcheting that tension that is even if she's not showing it it's still happening because like you know like when you're just like watching a scene you kind of get a because since she's bound up you you forget but then you remember oh hey she's pregnant with a titanium baby and it's bound to her right now you got to think about like the perpetual pain that she is in literally this entire movie when you think about it And then those moments happen to like kind of remind you, but it's like, you know, but then I think about the moments that it's like, there's, um, you know, during the scene, whenever they're, they're all dancing and whatnot. And then um, Vincent puts Alex on his shoulder and her stomach is on his shoulder. Like he's bouncing up and down. I'm like, geez, (laughs) ah, like way to ruin it, Julia. (laughs) Um, But it like happens at the perfect time because that is at the moment where we're kind of surrendering to the movie for a minute. And then it's like, oh, it's still happening. Um, And 
And yeah, you know, like you said, like the, the ending is, it, it is exactly like, yeah, like it, it couldn't happen any other way. Cause again, this is a serial killer that's killed many people. Um, and not, I'm not one to say who deserves what, but when you talk about like getting a happy ending, it would have felt weird if, you know, this character does end up getting such a happy ending. Um, so yeah, like the, the, the birthing of it is still, cause like, you know, like even when it gets to a point where it's like, you know, like you can hide pregnancy from someone for so long, you know, but it's like when it gets to a point that this thing is ginormous, like you're still convinced that you can bind it to yourself and cover it up, you know, when you are literally eight months pregnant, it's like, you know, like the, so it's like that denial is still there all the way till the end of the movie. Like she even kind of takes a step back. Cause like I said, like, there's a point where it's like, instead of going and asking for help, she like goes in and tries to like seduce them. And it's like, what are you like, what are you even doing? Um, you know, so it's like, she kind of even regresses back a little bit again. And, you know, it, he's the one that kind of, you know, learns the biggest lesson in the movie, but it's like, this is hers kind of accepting it, but also still not. So it's like, again, like this movie is like, Hey, TikTok, time is up. You still have not, you know, um, owned up to the things that you need to you're still you know pushing them in trying to keep them in so it's like that is you know yeah the only you know way that the movie could end and uh and i i remember <laughs> i remember in the in the theater um i was uh, watching this with a friend sloan and i remember leaning over to them i go if they don't show us this car baby i'm gonna be really upset and uh, so I'm glad that, you know, we do, uh, we get the goods. She gives birth to a baby with a metallic spine and like metallic head plate. And I was like, fuck, yeah, we got car baby. We, 2021, we got Gabriel and we got car baby. There you go. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I think that that end scene, it goes from being something that's very uncomfortable to something that feels very redeeming for the one character in the film that is not, you know, He's not a serial killer, but he almost was a killer. Um, he almost kills that other firefighter by giving him that propane tank that explodes. And we see that that kid survived, but he's like horribly scarred and all of these things. And while at least I feel this way, I feel that like Vincent is a flawed character, but he deserves to try to at least have that a real semblance of filling that hole in his heart. Right. The idea that yeah. Alex was net was never going to be a long-term solution to his problem, right? Because it's a lie, basically. Yeah. And yeah, momentarily, in the first, however long that they're together, that might facilitate a need that he has. But long-term, like, it's going to fall apart, whether it be just his own self-destruction, which you see, right? Mm -hmm. He tries to kill himself before that moment. He pours booze on himself and lights himself on fire. And then the reality, though, is that it's like, whether he spins out or she spins out, they're not going to, this pairing is not going to be con conducive to yeah. the long-term uh, recovery of what they're dealing with. And so. Yeah. So only, only one of you gets a second chance. Yeah, exactly. Like it, only yeah, one of them definitely. gets a second <laughs> chance and it's the right person, I think for the ending of the film, because he's flawed, but he's somebody that, you know, whether you want to not just to compare body counts, but uh, body counts in the negative sense. Uh, it's the thing that you're like, well, he at least seems like he was coming from a place that it was indicative of losing a child and wanting to basically have a second opportunity at that. And getting that is just makes for a really wonderful ending, I think. But one thing I wanted to ask you your opinion on, because it's the one moment of the film that still 
doesn't really, I don't fully understand is the second time that she has sex with a car or she has sex with a fire truck the second time, I guess. Um, what do we think the significance of that is? Is that just supposed to symbolize like she's confused again in terms of like where she's supposed to yeah. be, what identity she's supposed to be. So she goes back to something familiar and it ends up spiraling out of control again. Is that sort pretty of, much, that's supposed pre- to be pretty much that. Yeah. Pretty much that is why I saw it as It's like, Oh, like, they rejected, you know, they felt rejected, you know, um, after the, the dancing on top of the fire truck, you know? So it's like, they are confused. Like, Oh, um, you know, I thought I was in a place where I could be myself and be comfortable, but Oh no, I still got rejected again. So yeah, let me go back to some that's familiar that I know, you know, makes me feel better, but it's also like, yeah. And then that one's just, yeah, very sad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, like, you know, the, like that doesn't even feel like they're like fucking a fire truck. Like, because uh, in the, the, you know, the car sex scene, the car is the one fucking hurt. Right. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. We don't ever get an explanation of that. That one's fucking hurt. The, the fire truck is that like sad masturbation to yourself. Right. You're just like, ah, and you're crying <laughs> like that, that. No, that's no fun. Um, but and I feel like, yeah, that that's the, the moment of regression um, that they that they go back into. And um, I want to go back to the birthing scene real quick because there's there's a moment that is, um, you know, a, a, a moment that the, the scene is very like intimate and like, you know, tender in a way that is, you know, again, like just the, the way that Julia is able to formulate the story and shoot this film is like, you know, because like, again, when you think about it, it's like they are both buck naked together in this and like cradling each other. And like, you know, it's like in any semblance, could this be weird? Yeah, of course it could. But it's not like this is like this moment where it's like the it's the end of, you know, their kind of journey where it's like, you know, it's like they're fully embracing each other and like kind of giving themselves like who they are to each other, like in this like kind of last moment of knowing that like you know that alex is gonna die while this happens you know um so it's like you know this is like that you know last moment for vincent to feel strong enough to you know do something and then also for alexia being like okay i'm i'm you know showing my vulnerability to you i trust you um to you know get me through this moment so it is like you know that is like her um you know emotional peak as well but like shown in like just this very um you know raw and primal way you know like this is like this is like how like births were going down with the cavemen like it doesn't get more primal (laughs) than this you know it's like there's something very just like raw and beautiful about it um and like and there's just motor oil everywhere (laughs) Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. This movie is, it's something. And then you get the most, you know, overt depiction of the body horror element, right? Is where that, where her scar is, it splits all the way. And then not, her uh, belly splits yeah. all along the circumference mm. of it. Like it's the most overt moment. And yet it's never allowed to be come a spectacle, right? I keep coming back to that where it's such an outlandish premise and it's such an, you know, absurd to a certain point, but it never undercuts any of the emotional kind of weight that these scenes have, which really, again, speaks to just how masterfully a lot of these moments are configured. And it comes back to like the performances as well, because, you know, whether it's uh, Duquino knowing how to write flawed people that are missing something and whether or not 
any of us are serial killers or not, you can still understand the idea of like being out of place, whether it be with family or group, whether it be like social group or at work or these different elements. Like she's able to mm-hmm. put a lot of very relatable feelings and emotions into characters that could be completely foreign to their actual experiences, be completely foreign to your own. I think that, or our own, she's just able to really convey a lot through these characters and then have these moments that they all sync up again. Like it's not the motor, the, uh, the car baby, like that should be a laughable moment, but it actually carries a great deal of emotional weight. And like you had said, it's this moment where these two people are able to come together and, it's really the one moment in the film where Alex is the most comfortable that she's been, I think, because she even, uh, yeah. you know, obviously the realization that she is not Adrian has been around for a while in the film at that point, but it's the first time I believe that she uses her name because she tells it. Yeah. Well, obviously she tells yeah. him her yep. name and like that is a massive, and it's not a moment that is lingered on a lot in terms of just like the portrayal of it, but it kind of just happens and moves on. That's been the, uh, the way that the film progresses a majority of the time with these things. But that moment carries so much weight for her character. And it really does feel like the perfect climax for her character arc. And this idea that it's like, she's about to die, but she's finally feeling what she's always wanted to feel, which was a sense of having maybe a bond with somebody that is genuine. That isn't being, uh, I fucked at a car show or, you know, trying experimenting with different partners and things like that. It's very much her feeling comfortable with somebody in a way that doesn't have to be sexual. It's just, I mean, to use your word, like primal, it's a very primal thing. It feels like a father daughter bond, which is something that she clearly never had because of those, like there are Mm -hmm. many scenes of it that focus on it, but like the weird relationship she has with her father, um, which doesn't get explored explicitly, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's palpably uncomfortable. The scenes that are with her father, especially like when they have that uh, examination. I I get the vibe that, I get the vibe that he's like also a psychopath. I don't know. Well, like I think they're just both psychopaths <laughs> that like hate each other. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, but yeah, like, uh, uh, Alexia, like, yeah. Telling them because this is the, the you know, a finally a moment where they're like, you know, you accept Alexia. Like it's, you don't accept me as Adrian, like you accept Alexia. So it's like, and like, that's, you know, what they wanted all along. Um, yeah. So such a, such a huge moment, like, you know, but you know, with something, uh, with a, such a small moment to it. Yeah. And it's the type of thing where it really is kind of one of those movies that you just tell people like, you just have to watch it. And I would almost not tell them that sort of like very dumbed down water cooler pitch that we've uh, mentioned a couple of times. Like I feel like going into it with expectations, you're basically just like teeing yourself up for the inevitable rewatch because it is a movie that, and you know, we both rewatch movies constantly, but it's the type of thing where I think you get it. You actually do get a greater appreciation for it every time you watch it. And it's one that, you know, I'm already, my roommate is the one that I saw it in theaters with originally. And I've been trying to persuade him to rewatch it. Cause he was kind of like, well, I didn't know how much I got out of that other than it just being weird and unlike anything I've ever seen, but being very sort of just not in tune with a lot of like the character st- uh, development that was going on and the bond between characters and things like that. And I think that, it's a film that definitely uh, it complemented by a rewatch. And I'm so happy that I got to pick your brain on it with a little more depth uh, than we did on yours, just because of, you know, we're talking about so many different films at that time, but uh, were there any little mm. moments or anything that I skipped over that you wanted to highlight? No, I just uh, wanted to kind of go back into, um, like you said, like, you know, I watch, I rewatch movies quite a bit and 
this was this is one that it was like I like I, I was like waiting for like the right time, you know, like it, it's like very much like it, it's rewarding in a way that's like I don't need to watch this a whole bunch of times, but it's like but whenever I do like watch it, it's like, oh, I, I know when, you know, and because it because it, it, it does leave you so much to think about with each one with each watch. And, you know, the and in I remember on this rewatch, like it didn't even feel very like the body horror didn't even feel as painful or like anything as it did like on the first watch like it feels like kind of one of those movies that's like it, it's it's not as bad as you remember like you 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 watch it and you're like and you're like oh man that was pretty wild and gross and then you rewatch it and then you're like oh okay like this wasn't that, that, that that's not too bad like I, I can totally like because I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be one of those ones that like um deters you from rewatching because you know it's like you know too much or too gross to like stand but to- it totally isn't um it like in 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 the way that when you see it in a rewatch and that it like feels more normal um you know kind of i feel is like reflective of the film itself like you know like in this movie it doesn't shy away from the fact that you know bodies are messy and gross and you know and like you know, as much as you feel familiar with it and think you understand your body, you don't, you know, and as soon as, you know, you think that, you know, something that can't happen to you happens, you know, it's like that, that, that fear kicks in and that's such a universal fear, um, you know, and like why body horror works so well. And so it's like, um, you know, this movie just reminds you that it's like, yeah, like, you know, pain is, uh, is normal. It's like, like your body can only endure so much even when you think it can't. Um, and it's, um, you know, and, and it's kind of a reassuring in a way too. like, um, you know, not the fact that like, could you have a car baby? No, I recommend <laughs> you don't um, try to have a car baby at home, but you know, but the, the resilience of the um, body, you know, is something that's very interesting. Like when you just like, kind of think about like, man, like, this thing puts up with a lot of shit. Like, you know, so like, even when you don't appreciate your meat sack, um, you, you should, because it, it does a lot for you. So it's like, yeah, that's why I like boy horror. Meat sacks are uh, amazing things, but it, you know, it, on the rewatch, it was, I felt similarly. I was like, oh, am I really going to want to watch her start leaking oil and you yeah, know, seeing this, yeah. just these rips in her side and everything. But I furthermore just got a more appreciation for the fact that it was very much in service of something deliberate. You know, I've revisited a lot of body horror movies because I'm like, well, yeah, they're awesome displays of practical effects and whatnot. Um, But then, you know, if I was, I guess, to compare Mm -hmm. it to body horror films that I revisit, like The Fly, I always go into that movie revisiting it because I love the practical effects and everything like that. But then I sneakily get more of an appreciation for like the romance and the love story that's being told in that. And that is not the main draw. But then when I get actually into the movie and I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually one of the stronger, if not the strongest element of the entire film. And I felt that way this time going to Titney where I was, or uh, Titan, where I was going into this and thinking, yeah, I really want to like get to the root of a lot of these different character relationships and investments. But then I ended up walking away with a greater appreciation for just the restraint in using the body horror if anything, like if it dominated so much of the narrative, I think with this type of story, it would almost do it a disservice because then characters would get, begin to almost be like secondary. And then I would find that I would probably almost 
stopped caring about like the body horror elements as much because I was like, well, these are just gross and then I'll just move on from that. But I walked away with, you know, thinking about this movie in a way that while I enjoyed Raw, like this is just such a more complex movie. I feel it. the construction through every single, whether it be the thematics or the subgenres it dabbles in, um, just makes for an even more impressive, you know, sophomore film in a way that surprised me a lot more than I was expecting on this rewatch. But, you know, man, I always enjoy uh, chatting subgenres of horror with you because you always have such great insight. So I appreciate you uh, giving me a reason to dive back into this one. Yeah, man, I appreciate it too. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting that I would call this one a little more universal than Raw, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. even though it is maybe the weirder one of the two. Um, I feel like it it's a little more universally resonant um, for everybody and um, and it's yeah a little more a little more stylish uh, for my for my taste and um, if a, a, I watched a movie for the first time that would that pair would pair very well with this for a very weird double feature but um, as far as like characters that I like found myself surprisingly empathetic with would be um, excision um, another movie that is like known for these like um very gross body horror stuff um these like kind of crazy um visuals and stuff but like you don't like go back and rewatch that because you want to like you said like you don't want to that's not the body horror that you want to see when you go back but you like rewatch it for this like emotional journey that like is like also paired along with this like crazy um body horror that you've seen so if you guys haven't seen excision also watch that if you're a big titan fan that was one that's still on my watch list, but uh, since you said it would make a great double feature, I think I'm going to have to uh, prioritize that one. But I think it's a, it's on uh, Tubi. It's on Tubi. Tubi coming through in the clutch once again. But uh, before I let you go, why don't you let uh, the listeners know where they can follow you on Twitter and you know all your podcast information. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. I host a podcast, the Boy Blunt Cinema Club. Um, with my buddy Garrett, and we break down subgenres and series of uh, horror. So um, currently, as of this recording, we're going to be uh, wrapping up the Slumber Party Massacre franchise, and now uh, we're going to be tackling aliens um, coming up. So that's going to be a super good time. Um, but yeah, I always appreciate coming on here and uh, chatting chatting the, the gross stuff with you. <laughs> We always seem to uh, pick the gross ones to chat about. So I look forward to in the future chatting with you about another gross one. Me too, as always, my man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.